Uh, If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bible to Psalm 119. It's just about in the middle of your Bible, almost exactly in the middle of your Bible there. And um, we're continuing uh, our series in Psalm 119. And uh, starting in verse 17 today, looking at verses 17 through 32. Uh, E.M. Blakelock was a uh, 20th century Bible scholar from uh, Auckland, New Zealand, the University of Auckland. And in the same year that he died, as he was reflecting back on his life, uh, he he wrote a book called The Bible and I. And um, he was writing about the influence that God's word had had on his life. And so at one point... uh, he thinks back over the weeks that he lectured um, at this university on Psalm 119 and how he came to appreciate the psalmist's suffering and what he had gone, what he had gone through. And so speaking about that, he says, and I'm, I'm quoting a, a kind of lengthy quote here. He said, he, the psalmist, had known persecution, the most hideous of man's sins. He had suffered under the heavy or the ruthless hand of authority, as Christians and Jews still do in the lands where the blanket of darkness has fallen. His faith had staggered under the load of it all. He had known pressure to give in and conform. This third section, 17 through 24, which which we will look at today, along with the fourth section, seems to be particularly autobiographical. The psalmist had known deprivation and fear for his life. The dryness of the soul, which William Cowper wrote in a hymn, where, the, where is the blessedness I knew? When the world itself seemed to lose its savor under the stress of life, he had known loneliness and rejection and the agony of seeming abandonment. And all throughout, he's just got verses from Psalm 119 peppered throughout this little one little paragraph. And as he worked through these prayers, as he worked through this psalm, these cries of the heart of the psalmist, a man seemed to emerge. It would be like if you were looking out into the distance on a foggy day. You know, one of those days we've had a couple recently where it's just very foggy and you you feel like you can only see about 20 feet from you. It would be like a man would or a woman would come walking out of that fog and all you see is nothing but a white foggy mist, and out of that would come walking a man or a woman that would much resemble yourself. Through the mist of these words, as he would call it in Psalm 119. We read these words and we say, I see myself there. I see myself wrestling with some of these very same things. And so I see, I think you'll see that as we read today, but honestly, every day as we go before the face of God in his word. Read with me Psalm 119, 17 through 24. And, and remember, this psalm is outlined as an acrostic. So each section, each set of eight verses is begins with a Hebrew letter. In the Hebrew, you would see it look more like an acrostic. We lose that in translation, of course. Uh, but he begins with this third Hebrew alphabet letter, uh, Gimel, and he says, deal bountifully with your servant, or another way of saying that is, be kind to your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing 
for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Dalit, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the ways of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous work. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Father in heaven, help us as we look at your word this morning. There are many distractions in our hearts, in the world around us, in our own lives. And so I ask you for help to preach faithfully, helpfully. And I ask for help to listen intently for those here. That you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would cause your word to land on the mind for understanding, on the heart of everyone gathered here. That our, that our entire disposition or attitude would, would be to seek you to run, to run in the way of your word. Our hearts are often small. Enlarge them today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalmist is telling us to delight in the counsel of God's word. I see so much of the Beatitudes when I read Psalm, not only Psalm 119. It feels like a bunch of what I say about Psalm 119 applies to so many other psalms too. But uh, in particular today, I just feel like I see um, so much of the Beatitudes in here. I actually decided to basically make our two points for the morning Beatitudes. I couldn't do them all, so I had to kind of pick. But the first one is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I think that represents what we're seeing in this first section, verses 17 through 24. That's Matthew 5, 10. And a second point comes from verse 6 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. We see in the psalmist, and I need to clarify, you know, last week I leaned pretty hard on the fact of, of David being the author. I, sometimes when I come to the psalms, I just think David, right? But we know Asaph wrote some psalms, but there's some also other psalms. Um, possibly, some say Psalm 119 might have been written by Ezra. Some even say Daniel. Um, and so uh, I, I want to be careful that whenever I, well, whatever I say is fact, is, is truly fact. And when something is a, a perspective or, you know, I think it leans this way, I want to be clear to say that. And so I just want to, you'll hear me say more of the psalmist today than I did like David last week. So that's intentional to just try to communicate. We're not exactly sure who wrote this. Um, and at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because we've got it in God's word, in the closed canon of God's word. And so we lean 
heavily into that and trusting him in it. But uh, the psalmist has this closeness with the Lord, this fellowship with the Lord that, uh, that sometimes we dream of happening. Sometimes we wonder if it's possible. I remember several, several times in our, in our marriage, Sherilyn and I have been, I don't know, maybe on a date night or just out doing something. And, and sometimes you see this old, sweet couple. Or they look sweet anyway. I don't know them, but, you know, we're going to go with that. Walking down the road and, road and holding hands. Maybe they're sitting on a bench together and she leans over and, and she lays her head on his shoulder. And we've said to each other and thought, Oh, I sure pray that we're like that cute old couple when we're old and gray and wrinkled. I sure pray we're like that. And, and far be it for me to communicate our relationship with the Father like a, a cute old sweet couple, but there is a closeness of fellowship that you can almost picture, you can almost envision in a similar but, of course, different way. Knowing that the Lord is our hiding place, the one that we run to, we, we come to him and, and the psalmist in joy, even in the midst of struggle, portrays himself as the Lord's servant. Most of us would do anything than to be another's servant. We vie for pole position, if you will, in relationships. We wait long enough to see if someone else will do the hard job or the dirty task. Maybe if nobody is willing to do it, we'd be willing to do it, or if, you know, whatever the case might be. But David is, deal, deal bountifully, be merciful with your servant. That, you see that purpose statement? That I may live and keep your word. He wants to live long in fellowship with God, knowing he'll be with the Lord in eternity. He wants to spend all his days living in close fellowship with the Lord through his word. And so he asks God for his blessing, but it's always with this desire to serve the Lord. He doesn't thank God for his blessing or ask God for his blessing and then go do what he wishes. You ever been there where you've prayed a prayer like that? You're in a situation and it's terrible and you're like, Lord, just get me out of this mess and I promise I'll serve you forever. Anybody ever been there? Yes, a whole bunch of people, right? All of us. Not not the psalmist here. No, he's saying, deal bountifully, bountifully with me that I may live and keep your word. His challenges, they're not, they're not merely trials. Sometimes we go through hard trials, hard situations. These are, these are tribulations. These are persecutions. The psalmist is being persecuted precisely for being a man of God's word. Brothers and sisters, being a man of, or woman of God's word will be inconvenient at times. You will lose friendships at times. You will lose uh, pride of place at times. You will lose uh, position in the eyes of some. You will be mocked and ridiculed. We're still pretty safe today in the United States of America for now. Not so around the world, brothers and sisters. He wants to, he wants to be in lockstep with the Lord, knowing that even some of his own, even some of the Jews of his day, walking away from the Lord was persecuting him. 
mocking him, slandering him. Blessed are those, point one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There's a difference between hard trials and being persecuted precisely because you're striving to honor the Lord. And I don't mean you're trying to follow God, but you're doing it with a bad attitude and you kind of have a hateful personality and therefore people don't like you. That's all I'm talking about. Ah, oh, they're just persecuting me because I'm following God. I don't think so. Exactly. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Some of those conversations they had at, some, at times. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are determined to live according to God's word will face persecution. And it looks like any number of ways. Right? And so he's vulnerable at this point, And he's, he's groping for hope. You ever been there? You believe God's word. You know God is true. But you're having a hard time seeing it. Everything seems foggy. Like, back to the fog, you're driving and you can only see 10, 20 feet ahead of you. 20 feet, by the way, when you're going 30, 40 miles an hour, it's not very far. This might be the psalmist at this point. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Do you see what he's saying there? I, I can't see clearly. I know you're there. I know there's a road under my feet, but I'm having a hard time seeing. I'm having a hard time believing. That idea of opening my eyes communicates the idea of, of give me understanding. Open my eyes. You might say, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to see. Help me to know. Help me to believe. Do you know that when you're struggling in unbelief, going to the Lord and confessing that, acknowledging it to the Lord, thanking him for his forgiveness, and then asking him for belief is a wonderful gift that the Lord loves to give to his children. Lord, I'm struggling to believe right now. Would you enlarge my heart? Oh, I jumped ahead. Would you open my eyes? It's okay. It's all the same. Open the eyes of my heart to see, to understand your word, because I long for fellowship with you. I love to live in fellowship with you. And these are hard days. And you know what that means sometimes? Not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You mean just reciting applicable scripture passages? You better believe it. You better believe it. Because it's not just about a content of the passage. It's about the Holy Spirit who works as the helper, the teacher, the one who gives enlightenment, illumination, as we meditate on God's words and our hearts are transformed. This is a lament psalm, or, or part of this psalm is a lament. And that's what we're reading here. He expresses grief, expresses grief and sorrow. He's longing for the Lord. He's acknowledging the situation that he's in. It's not desirable. He doesn't want it. Nobody would want it. But here he is. And he's saying, Lord, I don't love this. I don't love this. But more than just get me out, which he does pray that. Remove from me contempt. Remove from me. Right? He's saying, vindicate me, Lord. More than that, he says, give me understanding that I might behold wondrous things from your law. 
He's not just saying, help me know what the purpose of all this is so I can be happy. Nope. Give me understanding. I'm a sojourner here. Don't hide your commandments from me. In other words, I need them. My soul consumed with longing for your rules. Not freedom from pain, not freedom from tribulation, not only, I should say, not only freedom from these things, but I long for your rules at all times. Friend, whether when you face dire circumstances, and they can be, they can take the form of, of many, many, many things. They, they might be external trials, tribulations that are brought on by others. Or they might be internal, something that's brought about by your own unbelief or your own sin or your own struggle, whatever the case might be. We need to cry out to the Lord or you will lash out at others or turn inward on yourself. Do you hear that? We must run to the Lord through his word Many times in the context of biblical community, a godly friend, or you will lash out at others, or you will turn inward on yourself in an ungodly way. And God doesn't want either one for you. Jesus didn't do either. He, he went to the Lord. He entrusted himself to the Lord. And we need to do the same. And that's what the psalmist is that's what the psalmist is doing here. He sees himself as one who's, who's alienated, a stranger. James 1, 17 and 18 says that, that, uh, that God is the, the Father from whom every good gift flows. So we go to the Lord and we say, Father, give me your word. Give me understanding. Help me to know you. There are times when, uh, when it's really good to, uh, to pray I'm sorry, to read the Bible and to study the Bible, right? To, to have a pen and a notepad or however you would do that. And you pray and you're writing down notes and you're, you're searching, you're looking at words, you're looking for repeated words, you're looking at the verse in its context, the chapter in its context, the book in its context. And you're, you're putting these pieces together. You're asking the Lord for understanding. But I will tell you, there is also a time to just set the pen down, put the notepad away, open your Bible, and just read and delight in God's word. I told my kids I had a day like that earlier this week, reading through my, in the early parts of reading through a, an annual Bible plan and, and uh, come up on a story that I know well, read a bunch of times before. And I found myself like, oh, I can just flip forward 15 pages and, you know, and I said, no, there's, there's, there's goodness from the Lord here. And as I did, my soul began to be satisfied being with God. Reading a story I'd read dozens upon dozens of times before. And the Lord showing me things I hadn't seen before, things I, I hadn't picked up on before. He prays for vindication, verse 23. He says, though people slander me, 
I will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. There are times, brothers and sisters, there are times, friends, when something is not going well with you, when circumstances or people seem to be against you. Maybe they are against you. They don't just seem to be against you. And we're tempted to run and and handle the situation. We're tempted to make that phone call and deal with that person. And the psalmist is saying, I need to be with the Lord. I first need to be with the Lord. I need to take the situation. I need to commit it to the Lord. And I need to delight in his word. I need to find counsel in the word of God. And if we as a people, humanity, but let's just even say Oak Grove Church, just shrink it down real fast. If we would go to the Lord rather than running to either everyone else, which some do, or several people, which some do. We just say, Lord, you handle this. You handle this. I need to be with you. And there are times when the Lord says, faithful are the wounds of the friends. You got to go to a brother or sister and talk to them about something. That's fine. But not until you've been with the Lord. Not until you've been with the Lord. And he says, though people slander me, I will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my, are my delight. They are my counselors. When we sit with God's word, we sit with, I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to think about when you go outside and you look up at the sky. Especially if you're at a season of year when it's not 11 degrees, you can stand outside, and there aren't a bunch of lights, and you can just look up at the sky. And all of a sudden, you realize how small you are, yes, but the focus isn't on you. It's on how massive God is, that he sits far above everything your human eye, which is very powerful, can see. Remember Genesis 1, 1 through 3, and this is about a God who is incomparable, who's transcendent, far above us, chooses to reveal himself to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Jumping to the New Testament, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Colossians tells us more about this. Jesus being the one who, through whom all things are created. Verse 3, again here. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that has not been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. This is God who created everything by speaking it into existence, now coming in human flesh, incarnate God, to reveal himself to us. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of, of the flesh, but nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
a couple of verses down says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And you and I get to hold this precious word of God, God's communication to you and me about who he is, his magnificence, his sovereign love over the entire universe. And you think that the situation, I'm speaking to myself here right now too, I think that the situation that we're facing is beyond the scope of God's power to use it perfectly, 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 without fail for God's glory and for your good brothers and sisters. We need to be before the Lord, Coram Deo, before the face of God. We need to behold him. We need to sit at his proverbial feet, if you will, and say, Lord, teach me more of you because I delight in you. You say, well, I don't find myself that, that enthralled with the word of God. Well, then you need to be there more. You need to ask God, Lord, open my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. Verse, I don't know what verse it is right here. Uh, yeah, verse 32, enlarge my heart. My heart is small, narrow-minded, Focused on the wrong things. Enlarge my heart. And I'll run in the way of your commandments. Verse 25. As we enter into the second point. He's, he's, he's clinging to the dust in humility. And he prays, give me life according to your word. Point two. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. I just have to ask, what are you hungry for? I'm not asking about cheeseburgers or chicken salads or what are you hungry for? Who are you hungry for? Are you hungry for relief from marital struggle or righteousness? Are you hungry for financial flexibility and freedom or righteousness? Are you hungry, kids? Hey, kids, look up here. Are you hungry for parents who only give you chores that you like? Or are you hungry to be a little bit more like Jesus every day as you learn to do chores that you don't like with a happy heart? Because you know that when you're trusting the Lord in it and saying something like, Lord, I can't do this well on my own. Will you help me? You're growing to be a little bit more like Jesus as a four-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 14-year-old? Are you hungry for lack of relational challenges or righteousness? Are you hungry for an easy life at church where everything seems to go smoothly? Or are you hungry for righteousness? Are you hungry for children who listen and obey immediately without fail? Or are you hungry for righteousness? Teenagers, are you hungry for being well-liked by your peers? Or righteousness? Are you hungry for the GPA that you want, the school that you want, the scholarship that you want, the sport that you want? Or are you hungry for righteousness? None of these, none of these things I mentioned is, is mutually exclusive from righteousness, to be clear. Actually, you might have all of those things, but I promise the Lord is using something else in your life circumstance that you don't want to cause you to either 
Continue to look inward, which will take you nowhere. Or lead you to, as a father does, lift your chin and say, Hey, son, daughter, look up at me. In fact, you might not be one who's ever trusted in the Lord Jesus for the salvation of your sins. You might be one that says, I've been living my whole life like this, trying to figure out how to handle everything on my own. And the Lord is allowing, the Lord is bringing difficulty into your life for the precise purpose, not because he doesn't care about you, but because he cares about you, to train you, to teach you, look to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me, find rest for your souls. If you, if you seek ease, you'll be frustrated as the situations don't ease up. If that's your ultimate end. But if, like the psalmist, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're, you'll battle frustration, you'll battle disappointment, to be sure. To be sure. I don't think there's any one of us who gets up and says, man, I love this terrible situation. I love relational conflict. Man, I just live for this stuff. Right? Otherwise, if you do, you have a different problem. But <laughs> the psalmist doesn't love his situation. But he's seeking the Lord more than relief from the situation. The struggles and the challenges will make you more like Christ when we walk in faith, one challenge at a time. One movement of faith at a time. Even one failure at a time. As the Lord uses that to correct you and redirect you. The Lord, the psalmist has, has, has set his heart, soul, mind, strength. It's just a way of saying his whole person, his whole disposition, his whole attitude. To obey the Lord with vigor. When he is confronted with God's word. Right? The Hebrew word here actually speaks of like cleaving to the dust. He has so humbled himself that he says, I have nothing to do but look up to the Lord. I have nothing to do but seek the Lord. You want to hear from the Lord? You want to receive the blessing of the Lord? Set your heart to run in God's commandments. Set your heart to obey God vigorously when confronted with his word. Commit yourself, and it's often good to commit it, communicate that you have committed yourself to another person for some loving accountability. Commit yourself to the Lord where you say, Lord, I am committed by your grace. That's an important phrase. I had a conversation with a friend recently, and they made a pretty strong commitment. And I said, hold, hold, hold on, hold on just one sec. I appreciate your heart in that. It's wonderful. I want to encourage you to just introduce a little phrase. By God's grace, I will. By God's grace, I will never. By God's grace. I want to be contrary to Scripture because the psalmist says, I will meditate on you. I will run in your word. So however it works for you, we just need to remember that it's God who works in us to work and will according to his purpose. John Kerr is known to have written, he says, a man will never grow into the knowledge of God's word by idly waiting for some new gift of discernment, but by diligently using what God has already bestowed upon him and using at the same times all other helps that lie within his reach. There's an active, wide, directed, 
pursuit to take hold of everything you can to pursue the Lord. There's nothing lazy about this. See, the Holy Spirit is given not to make our study unnecessary, but when we take hold of everything we can to make it effective. Listen, I'm just going to run through some of these phrases he says in the end of this fourth section of the Psalms, verse 26. Teach me your statutes, 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. And finally, verse 2, the, the culmination of this psalm. He's tired from life. He feels abandoned by most people. And he's sorrowful. His heart, his, he says in verse 28, my heart melts away from sorrow. Maybe you're there today. I feel like your heart is melting from sorrow. You love the Lord. You, you're trusting the Lord. You, you're trying to trust the Lord. You believe in the loving sovereignty of God. You know that in no casual way, God works all things to the good of those who love him who are called according to his purposes. You believe these truths, and yet, trial after trial after trial after trial, you're tired. Your heart is melting from sorrow. And I just encourage you that that is not of itself sin. It's okay to be exhausted as a sojourner in this world. It's human to be sorrowful. Our Savior in the garden told his beloved disciples, my soul, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Jesus was sorrowful. Friends, you, you need not go to anyone but Jesus. The perfect high priest who has endured every kind of temptation that you and I will ever endure. But there we are, the disciples, where our Savior comes and says, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Watch and pray. <laughs> of course he knew what he was saying, who he was talking to. That I might go pray. I mean, they're snoring. I don't know how long it was, but not very long. He comes back. Three times he went and went and he prayed. Not my will. That's what the psalmist is praying. Not my will. Whatever you've brought into my life, Lord, I want to take and I want to use because I trust you. I love you. I know you're good. And you may need to preach that to yourself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Preach Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Psalm 130, 
it's not even in the but looking at the time can't see that far Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This is one of those psalms that we start to read, and we kind of start to roll our eyes like, man, this is repetitive. Do you know that you need to hear over and over? The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The never-ending, never-stopping, faithful-pursuing love of God never quits. On and on and on. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. 26 verses, it goes on and on and on. We need to read every, don't skip those. Preach it to your soul. And so the psalmist says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Make it big, Lord, for your ways. Make it big. Open my eyes. Give me understanding. You know, when the Lord asked Solomon, ask whatever you want. I'll give you anything. He didn't ask for riches. He said, give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom and knowledge to go out and come before these people for who can govern these people of yours which is so great. And God says, because this, 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 which he's talking about, godly wisdom, because godly wisdom was in your heart, wisdom and knowledge has been granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor. Isn't that exactly what Jesus says? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you delight in the counsel of God's word, you'll run after him. Time to time, you'll need somebody to kind of like come push you back on the track. That's okay. But where are you today, running to or running from? Don't be deluded and think there's a standing still. Every river has a current. Hebrews says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, let us also lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Tired Christian, run with endurance. Tired parent, Stick to your guns, as long as they're the Lord's guns. Training up your children in the way they should go. Grandparent, praying for your wandering child. It's never too late. Keep praying. Yeah, but I'm so sorrowful, right? Jesus knows. Keep praying. Keep running. Keep running. Find a running mate. Always looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross, scorning its shame. The psalmist, verse 22, take away from me scorn and contempt. Despising the shame. And he, Jesus, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're going to pray and the end of our service is going to be a little different today. We have the privilege of welcoming a new family into membership as we conclude our service. And I want you to listen. We asked them two questions. I mean, they're like loaded questions, but it's a summary of all the things we've kind of talked about. I want you to listen to those questions, and I want you... you know, I've said this before, sometimes when I do a wedding, and we come to the... Um, we come to the vows, and I'll, I'll invite married couples in the congregation in attendance. I'll say, you know, this might be a, a good time if you're married just to join hands with your spouse and, and remember these, the commitment you made to your spouse however many years ago it was. In the quietness of your heart, as you see this couple exchange rings, remember the rings you exchanges and, exchanged and what they represent. And reaffirm to the Lord and to your spouse the love that you have for them the commitment you made to them. So that'd be good for you to do, members, as we do this together in a moment. But then you'll also be asked a question. Right? It's a mutual commitment, kind of like vows. And it takes a couple minutes. You know what? It's worth it to remember why God brought, brings us together, what the purpose is of being a committed body of believers. I say that to say, you may be really, really struggling. Don't struggle alone. Don't struggle alone. 